Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, big news in the world of literature. Uh, Melania Trump is writing a memoir. You don't say. I do say, unfortunately. Um, And uh, I got a list of possible titles for the memoir. Do you want to hear what they are? I feel like this is going to warm my heart. Please, please serenade me with these titles. Okay. Okay. I never actually lived there. My time in the White House. <laughs> it's very good. Um, <laughs> worst lady. Um, fuck Christmas and fuck you by Melania Trump. I mean, that would be a really amazing title. Isn't the lowest hanging fruit of titles? <laughs> Melania, Melania Trump, my time in the White House. I don't care. Do you? <laughs> How about, who gives a fuck about the trees that died for this and stuff? Ah, oh, it's going to be a page turner. <laughs> I I really want, like, aggressive Melania. Also, uh, in the belly of be best. Kind of like in the belly of the uh, beast. Right? You, this, is, this is extraordinary work. <laughs> Somebody uh, suggested unbecoming would be a really good one for her. It's. It's just about her level of plagiarism. <laughs> and it's it sort of rips off Michelle Obama, so it'd be perfect. On this week's show, Shaniqua McClendon, Megan Gailey, and Naomi Ekparrigan join to tackle the following questions. What can we learn from Democratic losses down ballot? Is there a silver lining to, quote, the year of the Republican woman? And why are books making Naomi want to set fires? All this and more right now. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm really excited about how jam-packed this show is this week. We're going to talk to Shaniqua McClendon. We're going to talk to Naomi. We're going to talk to Megan. Um, But Alyssa, let's talk about the news first. Um, First, Congress is uh, doing approximately nothing when it comes to uh, COVID relief while cases are surging. Um, Congress has been up to this for months. They've been they've been not doing anything for months to help struggling Americans. Um, and uh, unemployment benefits are about to run out. People are about to really hit a brick wall when it comes to life in the U.S. Uh, Alyssa, do you think that the Senate is going to do anything to help Americans who are struggling? I mean, Aaron, it is safe to say that Congress is doing as much for Americans as Melania did as First Lady. Um, I am hoping that, you know, I mean, as much as we have, uh, we have our feelings about Susan Collins and her frowning chamber, she and Lisa Murkowski have been working really hard on this $908 billion relief package that is has bipartisan support in the Senate. Mitch McConnell stabbed it dead with the blessing of Donald Trump. And so unfortunately, it really does come down 
to Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And it is unconscionable to me. I like I can't. It's so hard for me to think about the fact that these people can even look. Forget the national news. How does any member of Congress read their local newspaper and see how people are suffering? 50 million Americans are food insecure. And the fact that that has done nothing to sway Mitch McConnell or Republican leadership or the White House does not give me a ton of hope. Yeah, it's it's really getting bleak out there. I mean, people are in danger of losing their homes in a lot of places. Eviction moratoriums exist in a lot of uh, a lot of states and a lot of cities, but that expires at the end of the year, I believe, and uh, people are going to lose their homes. I, I, I'm going to say as a group that landlords aren't the greatest and kindest group of people in the world, and I think the thing is, like, people like Mitch McConnell have never really like. They're so removed from needing anything that they don't understand people whose needs aren't being met. And it's like, I don't know how to get through to people because it's not like they don't have access to information about what's going on. You know, they know, but they just, they just don't care. I was reading this week that activists have left body bags outside of McConnell and uh, Lindsay, the lapdog, Graham's houses. Wow. Um, Like, do you think that there's any getting through to them at all? Like, what would make a difference? I mean, I I just don't know. I mean, how much more desperate can it be? Organizations like Feeding America are literally feeding America. This should not be a nonprofit's job. And this isn't. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that such fucking hot garbage about all of it is that this isn't just something that's affecting blue states. People everywhere are getting evicted, don't have money for their bills, are, are to the same point, making choices between health insurance, their kids, uh, their kids' schools, like gas in their cars. I mean, and on top of it all, we're forcing parents to homeschool their kids. They have no resources. Zoom school is everywhere. And like, we don't even have reliable broadband across the country. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's It's so hard. The only thing that I can think is if people really, really put pressure on them in their districts and in their home states, the the national pressure, like they don't give a fuck about Twitter. They don't care that we're all pissed. You know, I think it's only Mm going to matter if the local volunteer fire department that's, you know, handing out toys for tots starts sending letters and protesting outside being like, do your job. But I just I don't know. I I feel I feel bleak about the prospects. Yeah, it's it's something that like, you know, I've been keeping an eye on and and it seems like since October that it's been assumed to be a fait accompli that nothing would get passed before the end of the year. Um, In the past week or so, this bipartisan group you mentioned, which also includes um, Mitt Romney and Angus King and a couple other people, um, they kind of were trying to make some some progress, but it doesn't look like it's going to work. And of course, Mitch McConnell's trying to play politics with it, and it's ugh, it's 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 a huge shit show. But I think your advice to act locally is uh, is really good advice. Like if you're somebody who lives in a district, or if you are represented by a senator who is stonewalling this, you have power to be a pain in the ass. Um, for the time being and, and, and hope that you can be a drop in the bucket to actually get them to change their mind. Um, okay. Pivoting real quick. Uh, it seems like Republicans have gotten tired of all the winning and by the winning, I mean the losing that Donald Trump did in while he's insisting that he actually won. It seems that uh, over the last week that Republican officials in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia have sort of reached the end of their wits. Um, this week in Georgia, a uh, a, a low-level uh, election worker received death threats because 8chan targeted him. And uh, as a result, um, an election official from Georgia who's a Republican gave a pretty fiery speech about how uh, this has to stop. Alyssa, what do you make of the Republicans kind of turning on Donald Trump's new version of reality that that he won and Joe Biden lost and he's going to still be the president? Well, I think that the Republicans have started to feel it where it hurts, which is death threats in their inboxes. 
Um, I think that so many of these governors, you know, states, um, secretaries of state, et cetera, they have done their job. They have done it admirably. Democrats, Republicans. And I think the fact that what loyalty to Donald Trump has come down to isn't just towing the party line. It is the utter subversion of democracy and blatant lying. And I think that that's where they draw the line, especially since they do know he lost. I'm whispering. I'm making a whispering face into the phone right now. Like they know <laughs> he lost. Like 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 Sesame Street should do a whole episode on how you how you lose like like a good person. You know how you lose gracefully. And also, like even if nothing else, they just maybe they just listened to fucking The Gambler by Kenny Rogers and they were like, fucking know when to fold them. You know, like this is, I think that they, they are the minority of the Republican Party that has gotten with what is happening, which is that Joe Biden is the president-elect. Kamala Harris is the vice president-elect. And the world continues to rotate on its axis. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say, Gabriel Sterling is the name of the Georgia official who gave that fiery speech about this has to stop. Um, Look, I totally respect people getting to a point where they're like, okay, this is too much. But there's also a part of me that's like, oh, so you're telling me that you glommed on to a serial liar with an ego so large and needy that not even light can escape its black hole like gravitational pull, and now you're surprised that this is turning on you? Like, you had a tiger by the tail and you let go, and you're surprised at what's happening? Like, I'm glad their eyes are opening. I'm glad they're seeing now (laughs) how ridiculous and dangerous this is. But, like, you know... Republican elected officials' wives are getting rape threats now, and that is fucking horrible. Nobody should get that directed at them. Um, I want to know whether or not they've made the connection that, like, women who are not their wives have been getting death and rape threats from Trump supporters for years, you know? Like, I'm glad that there's... I'm glad that they're standing up right now, and I'm glad that they're doing the bare minimum to keep democracy from, you know, flying off into space. But I really hope that in these ensuing weeks, there is a little bit of soul searching that's like, oh, hey, you know what? Perhaps my decision to align myself with this person was a bad one. And perhaps moving forward, I should employ what I've learned to not do this again. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm hopeful that they will. This is uh, just to <laughs> to put a sort of, I don't know, funny point on it. It might not even be funny. But we have joked about Governor Doug Ducey and his name a few times here on the pod. And it turns out that the, the sort of articulation of everything happening is this moment was the fact that so, because he is such a sicko fan, that he, so he never misses a phone call from the president. He changed the White House ringtone on his phone to hail to the chief, which rang in his pocket as he was certifying the election and he sent it to voicemail. I mean, if the arc, that's an arc, all right. <laughs> it was beautiful. That that moment was caught on video. And also there's something so pathetic about having Hail to the chief, be the ringtone for when the president calls you. It's like having here comes the bride be the ringtone when your husband calls you. It's like, ugh, don't. Just everybody else finds that to be very gross. Um, Alyssa, I really want to get to our conversation today with Shaniqua McClendon, Crooked Media's political director. Um, but I'm really also excited to talk about cabinet picks, but I think we're going to have to put a pin in it and talk about that next week for who we want in the cabinet, who we think should be in the cabinet, and and what their priorities should be. Um, I know that you've got some people fired up. I've got some people fired up. But more importantly, I've got priorities. I have priorities. We have things we want to see get done. We've got some priorities. um, And we're super excited to have that conversation next week. But first, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to have our conversation with Shaniqua McClendon. Whenever I have questions about the big picture when it comes to politics and whenever I want to hear 
the truth about what's really going on, there is one person that comes to mind. She's been on the show a bunch of times before, and we're so excited that she's back today. She is Crooked Media's political director, Shaniqua McClendon. Welcome, Shaniqua. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, that is very generous to say I'm the person you come to, given given the founders of this company. <laughs> I do think what would Shaniqua say, and I think that you probably get to the point a little more quickly than the founders. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So we have questions. Uh, we hope you have at least uh, answers that point us in directions that help us understand what's going on a little bit more. Um, November was a wild month for more reasons than one. December is already shaping up to be pretty wild. Um, but what we also saw throughout the country, in addition to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris defeating Donald Trump, which you know was worth celebrating, were unprecedented amounts of Democrats getting defeated, particularly in the House. So outside of the general presidential election, what were some of the trends you've been paying attention to? Is there anything that stuck out to you as something particularly uh, good and anything that stuck out to you as particularly bad? Uh, yes. One thing that I think was really bad for this election down ballot, but could be good moving forward and even in Georgia as we look at the runoffs Um Trump turned out a lot of people like he turned out a lot of voters who were really excited to come out and vote for him. And we didn't see that in 2018. That really sucked for 2020, obviously, because we didn't pick up as many Senate seats as we thought. We lost um, a handful of House seats that we were expecting to keep. But it makes me hopeful that he's not on the ballot anymore moving forward. And so maybe those people, even though I want everyone to vote, maybe those people <laughs> will, will stay home and um, and we can just start to continue to take advantage of um, the increased Democratic turnout that, you know, we saw in 2018. And I mean, even though um, Trump got a ton of votes and a lot of turnout, Democrats obviously turned out more. Um, in the states that were most important for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to win. Um, so that kind of like checks both boxes. But the losses were really hard. You know, we were supposed to, in my eyes, we were supposed to flip the Senate. And we won the Senate seats that we were expecting to. Um, Colorado, Arizona both flipped. And um, we held on to Michigan, which, you know, that was one of, aside from Doug Jones, one of the most vulnerable seats. But I think people felt pretty good about it. But North Carolina and Maine, I, I think, Myself included, a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for those two races. Um, you know, North Carolina, I it's hard for me not to blame the candidate in that race. Um, <laughs> he he, uh, he actually my so I worked for Kay Hagan, who lost to Tom Tillis in 2014. And Cal Cunningham, that was a rough year for Democrats. Cal Cunningham underperformed her. So it's just really hard for me to think that it wasn't on him that he lost. Um, but in Maine, I think we were all really, really surprised. I mean, we all knew um, Susan Collins was going to be a really tough person to beat, but I, I think that it was just, I thought the wave was going to go in a different way. Um, but I think one of the trends um, that came from that, that we saw were a lot of people finally had the opportunity to vote against Trump. Um, and I think they felt very comfortable voting against the more explicit forms of misogyny, racism, xenophobia, and other, um, you know, harmful beliefs. But then they got to go down the rest of the ballot and vote for the Republicans that they're used to voting for, who are um, not so obvious about their misogyny, racism, and, and xenophobia. So we, you know, I think that will inform the conversation as we move forward about who, you know, who we need to still keep trying to court um, as Democrats and and who maybe we just need to let go. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest winners on Election Day was the GOP Women's Caucus. We've seen this rise of the pro-life feminist, in quotes. Uh, Anti-choice women more than doubled their seats in the House. Shaniqua, why? What do you think about this? <sighs> you know, I think Democratic women should take some credit for this. That's not great. But, you know, in 2018, we saw an unprecedented number of women running for office. A lot of it um, was in response to Trump. I, I think a lot of women just realized that if they if we wanted to see the country be better, we we're going to have to step up and do that. And I think the conversation that we saw in 2018 about the year of the woman, I think a lot of um, conservative women saw that and decided that they wanted to, to be part of that. But th this is maybe the mean side of me. <laughs> I think Republican men figured out that running women was actually helpful for them. They could take a woman who had the same anti-woman views that the men have. But as I was saying before, where people... <clears throat> 
if you just give them a reason to vote for the things that they wanted to vote for anyway, without feeling bad about it, they will. So in the same way, people got to vote against Trump, but then the rest of the down the ballot vote how they really feel, um, you know, Trump's views, but not not as uh, in your face. I think when you put a conservative woman who is anti-woman on the ballot, people feel like, well, she can't be against women. She is a woman. So I get to vote for her and say that I am in favor of women. But, you know, a lot of these women are anti-choice and you can't call yourself a feminist if you're anti-choice because, you know, if you personally choose not to have an abortion because those are your beliefs, that is, you know, to me, I count that as being in the pro-choice area, kind of uh, way of thought because you got to choose if you had an abortion or not. But to be elected to office and mandate that women don't get that choice, I mean, that's essentially taking the ability to make a choice away from a woman. I just don't know how you can call yourself a feminist. And I hope that we, you know, on the left, don't allow these women to to take that word and make it something that it's not, because a lot of work has gone into the movement. And I would just yeah, it would make me really sad and upset to see a bunch of women who don't actually support women um, taking that word and using it for to set us back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what we need to do is repair the glass ceiling. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> ran on that. It's broken. This country's glass ceiling has been broken, and I am the woman to patch it up. Um, so let's pivot to Georgia. Um, there's a big chance for Democrats to reclaim uh, the Senate. Like, I mean, it's an unexpected. We didn't think it would come from Georgia, but, but here we are. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in Georgia what and can you tell us about Crooked's adopt a state and you know what makes you hopeful and what kind of uh, gives you a little trepidation about those races? Yeah, um, you're so right. I really did not think it was going to come down to Georgia for um, us taking control of the Senate, but I also didn't expect Georgia to flip for Joe Biden. So I'm actually excited and happy and feel better than I think I would have otherwise. That Georgia is the state we're depending on to to flip these two. Two seats. Um, and so, you know, basically David Perdue did not clear 50% uh, in the election. Well, neither of them did. So that's why that's going to a runoff. And then uh, Kelly Loeffler and Reverend Warner are headed to a runoff. It's a special election, but again, neither of them cleared 50% in the general election. And so, you know, one thing we saw in Georgia for the presidential race is that um, a lot of organizers who have been working for about a decade in Georgia, uh, in 2018, I think they should have saw their work kind of bear fruit, but the election was stolen from Stacey Abrams, so we didn't fully see it there. But this year in November, we got to see it uh, for Joe Biden. And I think that that is the thing that is giving me hope for these Senate races. I think also a lot of the voters in Georgia understand that control of the Senate means you know, they, they elected Joe Biden, but control of the Senate determines whether or not he gets to actually advance the the policies and the agenda that he put forth as he was campaigning to win the state. Uh, and now, particularly as we're in, you know, another increase in COVID cases and people, you know, unfortunately, since the last uh, COVID relief package was passed, haven't had any type of relief whether or not, and Congress is working on something now, but it looks like it's going to be pretty small. Um, and so, if we want to see a robust response and robust support for people to get back up on their feet and, and you know, get back up on their feet is me being generous. People are trying to, you know, stay in their homes and just literally have food on the table. So I think a lot of Georgians understand what's at stake in this race. And then you match that with the organizers have, who have been working in the state for a decade. Um, I, I think we have a really good chance. And you also have um, the fact that the Trump uh, strategy of a stolen election is backfiring a bit for them. Um, people who are convinced that the election was stolen are now talking about boycotting the Senate election and just don't understand or don't believe that this election is going to go any different because, you know, quote unquote, the other one was stolen. So there's a lot of things working in Democrats' favor, but Georgia is still the state that's, you know, stole an election from Stacey Abrams and has really bad voter suppression. So though that's on that end, that gives me concern. But I think because voters are so aware of all of that, hopefully, um, you know, they will have all they need to, to overcome that. And our Adopt-A-State program. Um, <laughs> so our Adopt-A-State Georgia program, it's very similar to the Adopt-A-State program we ran for the election. Uh, but I would say the 
we're we're emphasizing grassroots organizations more um, in this Georgia program. Again, we saw what they were able to do in the November election. And a lot of these organizations, you know, they're getting attention now, but generally have been working on, you know, shoestring budgets and, and just kind of making do with what they can. And they've produced a lot. And so we are driving volunteers and um, financial resources into these organizations so that they can let people know that there's an election. Some people thought everything ended in November and get them everything they need, you know, sending out absentee ballot request forms, um, getting folks registered, especially people who have turned 18 since the November election. Um, so if folks want to sign up for that, you can go to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia or votesaveamerica.com slash adopt and sign up to get um, emails every week. We're actually sending two emails out a week now because it's such a short timeline. Um, and you'll get calls to action that you can take to help turn out voters um, throughout Georgia. Um, I have a kind of in the weeds follow up uh, about the Georgia races. So um, when Ossoff ran for Congress right after the 2016 election, um, like he ran against Karen Handel, and mm-hmm. it was sort of an all eyes on Georgia special election, like how are voters going to act in Trump's America? And, you know, in the national spotlight, Asaf, clearly the better candidate, lost. Uh, and Handel eventually was defeated by Lucy McBath, who is mm-hmm. a, a great congresswoman. And, you know, in Maine, I, I saw a little bit of reporting after the Senate race that um, the national spotlight made some Maine voters, it actually kind of drew attention to the race in a way that didn't end up favorably for Sarah Gideon. Is there any concern that the national spotlight on Georgia will drive out the voters, uh, will drive the voters to the polls who want to see the Senate remain Republican? Like, are we worried about Streisand affecting this election at all? (laughs) Um, I I think there's always going to be a concern of that. But I think the key is letting the people in Georgia lead you know, you hear Stacey Abrams talk about how she kind of translates things into Southern to, you know, kind of put it in a way that the voters in the state understand. There's, you know, first and foremost, there's no way to not nationalize this race. Um, it will affect everyone in this entire country who, by determining who controls the Senate. So I think it's impossible to just say we're not going to nationalize it. Um, and then you have celebrities who just kind of, uh, you know, on their own, decide that they're going to participate in this race. Uh, But I do think it will have an impact. There are, you know, on our side, we're trying to make sure that people know that there is an election that we want them to participate in it. And on the other side, that is happening when you nationalize a race. Like people who probably may not have been paying attention before now also realize that control of the Senate will come down to these two races. Um, But yeah, it could be harmful, but I just I really think that uh, in Georgia, the work that the organizers are doing on the ground, these are people who are from the communities they live in and they've been doing this work for so long. So if they can continue to grow the number of Democrats and, you know, independents and even some Republicans who want to see something different, if they are having those personal one on one conversations, I do think that will go a long way. You know, in Maine, I think there were some other issues at play Um People, I th- you know, what was happening nationally was like, we hate Susan Collins. And there's a lot of people in Maine, Democrats and Republicans and independents who have voted for Susan Collins for, for years. And so, you know, they probably were like, well, I don't see a problem with her. I'm going to vote for um, this senator who has gone to D.C. and done the things that I want for her. I think Susan Collins is very different from Kelly Loeffler and and, Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Perdue. They are wrapped up in, you know, a scandal right now and have been since their, you know, stock trades that helped enrich them uh, around COVID. And, you know, they're both very, very wealthy. I guess Kelly Loeffler is like the wealthiest member of Congress and David Perdue, um, you know, he when he was the CEO of Dollar General, I think it was, you know, uh, relied on a overtime loophole to to make more profits for the company. So they are two people who are pretty corrupt and greedy. And I'm not trying to say nice things about Susan Collins, but I think that um, I think the things that people are saying, the attacks are going to stick because they're real and true. And it kind of tells us the kinds of people they are. Whereas in Maine, you know, I, I can. I don't know the right word understand doesn't feel right, but I'll just say I understand the appeal of Susan Collins and, and why voters uh, 
probably rejected what they were being told by people who don't live in Maine about her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly does help that Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are, I think, two of the least likable senators. Yes. (laughs) For sure. They're deeply unappealing. Um, And Ossoff and Warnock are both very likable and seem to have good ideas. And so, well... Good luck in Georgia. We'll be paying attention. We'll be keeping people updated. And thank you for updating us. As always, Shaniqua, we really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Thank Um, you for having me. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk to you, if not before the end of the year, very shortly after the beginning of 2021. (laughs) Well, hopefully all goes well on January 5th in Georgia. Fingers crossed. Uh, And people who live in Georgia and aren't registered should get registered by December 7th so they can vote in the January 5th election. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Welcome back, folks. I am very excited to welcome the two wonderful women who will be joining Alyssa and me today. First, she is a writer, a comedian, and a host of the show Bubble Machine, which she films in her yard. It's Megan Gailey. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Megan? Oh, fresh out of bed. Just right. <laughs> I think everyone can tell I'm, I'm bringing something, and I don't know if it's my best today. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. I rolled out of bed. I got a sweater on over my PJ shirt. And here we go. (laughs) I like that you omitted pants. I think the fact that you omitted pants might mean that you're not wearing them, but I will not pry. I got little, um, I got little red, um, long underwear pants on. It's just, I love it. I love these (laughs) pants at Christmas time. They make me feel like I'm one of the old people in the bed in Willy Wonka. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and next we have, she's a uh, writer, comedian who doesn't know if she's ever going to be doing stand-up comedy again, but I just gave a pep (laughs) talk to her saying that I think she will probably by the end of next year. It's Naomi Ekparrigan. Well, this is why I come to Hysteria, to remember what my voice sounds like to other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this does for me. Thank you. Um, since we're all quarantining, all, all four of us here are hetero women who have been spending most of our time around hetero men. Have, yeah. have you noticed taking on, like, the habits of, like, straight guys? Like, the, <laughs> the taste of the straights? I've been like, I've been spending so much time around a straight man. Yeah. I wish. I don't, you know, I haven't, you know, because my partner, he exercises every day and also takes a shower every day. You know, and I haven't, (laughs) has it rubbed off on me? (laughs) (laughs) Wish it would. I've been eating a lot more Domino's. That is um, true. And I, yeah, I'm a little worried that my husband's, silliness like sometimes I'll be like what are you eating and he's like poop you know and that I've started doing that and that's not good that's not good for our future children you guys I feel so seen I have not been showering every day my husband showers twice a day and we had Domino's last week oh wow (laughs) wow Alyssa you are us oh my gosh the other day I was like, I think I was like visibly in need of a shower. Like not visibly, not visibly like you could, you could see, you know, I, like, you know, pig pen on yeah. penis. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I had stink lines like coming <laughs> off of my body. And I was like, what is it? Do I want to like do all that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ended up doing it because I don't want to smell. But, um, but yeah, it's showering has been a real... A, a real struggle for me during this this difficult time. Um, ladies, I want to talk about, I want to start today's discussion with a headline that I just got in my inbox from the Washington Post um, because I think it dovetails well into what we're talking about. The headline is, uh, MAGAite in Manhattan, question mark? 
Ivanka Trump's political ambitions seek mm-hmm. new home after the White House. Apparently, Ivanka Trump wants to run for office. But guys, she's a woman. We're mm-hmm. women. Isn't that good? <laughs> Alyssa, isn't that great news? Another woman running? <laughs> Funny enough, I was just reading that article too. And I just, I feel like there's just like enough enough other things to go around that we don't need the Ivanka plague. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they uh, Ivanka Trump not wanted posters have appeared in New York City. Uh, when I heard about their appearance, uh, that's the first time in several months that I've really, really wanted to be in New York at this mm-hmm. time. I just want to see <laughs> one of those in person. Um, Naomi, what do you make of people like Ivanka who <laughs> try to pass off their womanhood as somehow an achievement that all women should be proud of. Livid. You know I hate it. You know it's there's nothing I hate more. And it's it's a, it's a very I will say this, you know, knowing we were going to talk about this, I did try to look within and come up with words that made sense mm-hmm. and I did not find them. And so um <laughs> the problem I feel I have sometimes with this is that you know by putting too much stock in someone's gender I think you then allow for them not to have substance underneath. And I think that is like so frustrating. I feel this way. And also it's, I mean, I also feel that way about race too. Just because somebody's black doesn't mean I'm like into them. Okay. Let's talk about diamond and silk. Those are not my people. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's not enough. I always believe it's like, it, I'm not into people. I'm into platforms. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not into people. Mm-hmm. I'm into their plans. And so regardless of what package that comes in, I will allow it. I think that, for instance, when we're talking about mediocrity, however, if I've got to choose between two sacks of trash, why not make one of them a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Megan, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think we have this, if it's like joy and excitement when we see women being elected to Congress or joining transition teams. and all, But the reality is we feel that way because when we see a woman, we go, oh, hopefully her experiences will be in line with what some of my experiences yes. or viewpoints are. And she will be a representative of what I feel and think within the world. And so when you have people that are like-minded, I mean, it's it's what Naomi said, it, it's platform. So it's like, oh, a, a Republican woman or an Ivanka, yes, she is a woman. I guess that is a, a step for gender, but we don't align in any other thing. She's not going to represent me as a woman. So the excitement has to end there. And also, like, why do you need us to be happy for you? 55% percent of white women voted for Trump. Why don't you get them to throw you a fucking parade? You know, like (laughs) they're on your side. You're not going to get us. You don't need us. Just have fun. Have them celebrate you. Like them being like, oh, no one got excited when we did it. Yeah, because bitch, we don't like you. (laughs) Why don't you find the people that like you and then they can get you a cake? (laughs) I mean, Republican women have achieved a lot this year. Like Christy Nome, for example, is essentially lording over a state uh, where that is setting records for COVID deaths and hospitalizations, that's an achievement. Uh, Martha McSally is the first person ever to lose two Senate seats in the same state. That's cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa, I have a question that is like kind of a, it's a hard one that I've been thinking about a lot too. Like Naomi and Megan both brought up the, you know, gender isn't necessarily a qualification in and of itself unless it leads to like a depth of understanding and empathy. Do you feel like back when Hillary Clinton ran that there was a little bit of banking on the gender thing? Do you think that like her team leaned (laughs) too much on it? Sorry, this is for you, Alyssa, but I have thoughts. Please, Naomi, please go with your thoughts. I'm interested to hear. No, no, you're the one who knows stuff about politics. (laughs) (laughs) Only half the time. I mean, (laughs) I think that when it came to Hillary, how could you not? Right. I mean, I feel like it would have been very hard to not make the point that she 
was a woman because she was, but also because people had spent so much time basically saying she was no different than her husband. I think it was one real differentiator. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could not stand the tagline, I'm with her. I detested it so much. I thought it, to me, it was so reductive. And it was kind of like, who is her? Who is her? Give me some specifics on her. And that's the thing. They didn't want to give me specifics on her. They just wanted me to focus on her. And uh, Megan, please go ahead. I need to silence a white woman. No, I think think part of the issue, and, and they say this all the time, is like, Okay, so if you look at how campaigns are run, a lot of it is trial and error from past things that didn't work. And then they're like, okay, we're not going to do that again. And Hillary was the first pre- like female presidential candidate of a major political party. And so they did things that were messed up. Like they made errors back in 1900s on these <laughs> male campaigns. Like we had to wait until 2016 to have... A person that we could even be like, oh, man, we shouldn't do that next time. I mean, when you (laughs) listen to the people that were running Kamala's campaign and Elizabeth Warren's campaign, it was like a lot of this is such uncharted territory that we need these women, whether they're whether we like them or not, to just kind of be in these positions. So then we know how to market them to voters in some ways. Mm hmm. I still think that I know what you're saying, Megan, and I think you're right. I still think it should have been common sense that it was not enough. I I definitely don't think it shouldn't have been an element, but I think it's also like there's so much more um, that people need to know. Because I think so many people feel in their daily lives, whether it's true or not, but most people would say, I'm not sexist, right? Some of my Mm -hmm. best mothers have been women, you know? Um, So I don't, (laughs) so I think when you try to say, you know, put it on, it's not going to resonate with a lot of people because a lot of them are going to feel like, so I know a woman and I, and I just don't know. I'm like, y'all should have known that. Give me some specifics that you know will actually galvanize people. Well, I mean, they should have known they needed to go to Wisconsin. To, well, you know, like hello, there hello. were just there were mistakes, and I and I and I <laughs> guess what I'm trying to say is like her mistakes and and that campaign's mistakes are like so glaring, and I think part of that, unfortunately, is because she is a woman that failed on the largest stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's really that's really interesting, and Naomi. You bring up a really interesting point about the, like, tell me more about what the her is. Um, I think the I'm with her slogan kind of betrayed some, like, blind spots that women who are in positions of power and privilege have when it comes to more marginalized people. Like, we're we're not... This, we're not the same, you know? Like, and that doesn't mean that we can't have empathy and we can't, like, help and and, like make an effort to be an advocate and, you know, but like, you know, someone like Hillary Clinton's idea of like her isn't going to be the same as like, you know, a single mom living in Los Angeles's idea of her, Right. you know, they're, they're, they're two, like, they're totally different groups of people. And like, Alyssa, I'm curious about like, you know, this, this year, um, Republicans set a record for the most number of women ever elected to Congress. And some of the some of the women that got elected are are real uh, nightmares when it comes to policy. <laughs> but like, would would you prefer that it were men doing the nightmare policies? Like, do you do you have higher hopes for women with nightmare policy ideas, or do you think that they're just going to be the same same shit in a different bag? So I think there is a lot to be said for the same shit in a different bag. I think that. I'm happy. The more women, the better, right? I mean, no matter what, diversity of point of view is better than just a bunch of white men deciding everything that's going to happen. And I guess we can have a little bit of hope that things like maybe paid family leave will be something that they can find common ground with, you know, Democratic women on. But I believe in diversity of opinion even if it's not my opinion, I guess that's the point of the diversity. So I think that, I think that it's still good. I think that it's still good because maybe they're not terrible on one or two things. Like maybe they can get behind <laughs> making tampons free and available, getting rid of the period <laughs> mm-hmm. tax. Maybe they get periods too. Maybe they'll want to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe they'll just like show up on time, you know? <laughs> have the, maybe they'll have the right documents printed out, you know? Like, it, 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 I mean, those are the things where it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was the first mom in that position. That is cool. And then the coolness ends there. Mm-hmm. But see, I don't think it's cool just to be a mom if you're a shitty mom. It's like meeting as a person. I don't know. The kids are probably fine. But it's like when you say diversity of point of view, I think that's I I see the hope in that, Alyssa. And I definitely think you're right. But I guess my concern is when I don't feel that the point of view is diverse. It's merely echoing the white male Republican POV. But they happen to have breasts. Because if there's one thing, too, we've learned, because there's also like, you know, it's not simply to be a woman, but also age. Like, I think older women on both sides of the aisle, they don't care. They don't seem to be as attached to some of these, these like reproductive mm-hmm. health issues, period tax, because they're like, honey, I ain't doing that no more. <laughs> so it doesn't resonate with me per se. Yeah, that's and a I very good point. Blanket, but I think there are a lot of I me, mean, especially the women, again, when we look at the women who voted for Trump, you know, a lot of, sure, certainly there is a religious faction, but there's also an older faction, a more wealthy faction, the people who feel like these issues are my issues because mm-hmm. either I have access or I don't have the problem to begin with. Yeah, it's almost like women were born. I mean, this is a, like a, a, a blanket stereotype, but like women were born with more empathy. But if that empathy was not exercised at some point, it left them. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to like, you got to work the muscle. Yeah, it's a muscle. Their muscle is weak. I would I would expand that to say anybody who isn't uh, like a white straight cis male has to like develop empathy because they're removed from like the very top of like the privilege structure in general, unless you're one of those, like, you know, unless you're one of those white women who like, you know, think the cops exist to protect you from lemonade stands, then, then you sort of <laughs> like, you kind of are at the top of the, the pyramid. I think like, you know, I actually kind of, I have faith in a generic, uh, Republican woman with, you know, the Georgia woman who's like a batshit insane QAnon person excluded. But generally speaking, if you have two people with identical views, and maybe this is me being sexist, I have more faith if one of those people is a woman than if that person were a man, simply because women in government have a recent track record of being more successful at working together and working across the aisle. Like I think about, you know, female senators have been really the only like bipartisan success story of the Senate under Mitch McConnell. And I I just I have I have faith that sometimes there there gets to be a point and again I'm stereotyping, but there gets to be a point in every meeting where even if, you know, you're you have a like people who vastly disagree where there are going to be people who are be like, okay, we got to get this shit done. How are we going to get this shit done? Rather than just kind of sitting there and, uh, and, and, and being okay with, with uh, gridlock. Um, I want to expand this question to like more like workplaces besides just like government. Have you guys noticed um, in writer's rooms or in creative spaces that having more women makes everything better or does it need to be the right type of woman. Look, it's not just, again, because that's the thing, when we say this, and it's so hard not to speak in generalities because right now we're talking about a gen, we're saying women, and mm-hmm. we all know there's the intersectionality there. Mm-hmm. Like, if you put me in a writer's room with like 10 white women, I would not say things are going well for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that would be like a diverse room. It's uh-huh. like you need, you need a different types of women. I think the, the thing I've noticed whenever women have been in charge is that, um, I've noticed that like as like her working under women, like their whole emotional selves are taken into account. Like a boss, not that you could like come into work and just cry all day, but like if you went to a boss and was like, hey, I'm going through something right now, I found usually a boss would be like, all right, you can hang back today. Like don't feel, you know what I mean? Like you don't necessarily have to like hide what's going on with you and in your life. Whereas like male bosses, I remember I had a day where I wasn't really talking and I had a boss, he called me, he's like, why were you quiet today? <laughs> Which was like, he was trying to be nice, but his tone mm-hmm. was like, I want to tell you what's going on. I don't know. I always find that to be a little bit, that's the one thing I've noticed being in those kind of situations. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I want to pivot really quickly to Joe Biden's, like, we're talking about Republican women. So let's talk about, like, Joe Biden's team that he's assembling, his super team. Um, 
He's announced his comms team, which is all women, and his econ team, which features a lot of women. Um, Alyssa, do you think that by putting all women in communications roles at a very difficult time for America, that he's setting up a bunch of female messengers to be the ones who are, to use a, 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 a figure of speech, shot? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That did cross my mind. Um, though a couple things to keep in mind, they announced the all-female section of the comms team. There will be other members of the comms team behind, besides the folks oh. that they announced the other day. Uh, there are deputy press secretaries, other deputy comms directors, assistant press secretaries. It's a very big office. Um, so I appreciate the splash, but the thing is, when they did make the splash, that is what I thought. I was like, oh, this is the first line of defense. Like, we saw how this went in Normandy. World wars have taught us what being the first wave means. And so, you know, I definitely, I'm proud. I'm glad that they are looking behind, like, looking past the typical sort of, you know, um, prototype of what people in those jobs might have looked like in the past. Um, but I do think that they are going to have to make lots of different people in the administration spokespeople for some of these uh, policies because you can't hang this albatross solely around the ladies. <laughs> mm -hmm. My, oh, go when ahead. I first saw it, I was like, yeah, it's for communication. Like, of course. Like, <laughs> you're going to have them lead the charge. <laughs> and then sadly, because my brain has been warped by Trump land, when I see any of these appointments, I go, oh, yeah, that's just the first person that will have that job. <laughs> right? like, no, ideally, these people will stay for the entirety of the term, but it's like, oh yeah. And then who will be net? Like it's so <laughs> first a wave of people, but it's like, no, that's the, let's not do that anymore. Let's stay. Let's graduate these freshmen. Oh man. You know, I was just thinking about like, um, the kind of wave of Republican women during the Trump era. And I'm just wondering, just trying to think about where they're going to land next. And man, it's going to be really nice to not have to listen to Kaylee McEnany anymore. It's going to be so nice to like the further away Sarah Huckabee Sanders moves from relevance, the happier I get. I just, <laughs> it's, it's so nice to live in a world where there's enough good women that I can, that I don't have to be satisfied with like the shitty ones that we were offered during the Trump administration. Um, it okay. We have to wrap up this part of the conversation, but before we do a, one final question for all of you, if there could be a, an all female, reboot, let's say, of any particular um, industry or, you know, famous governing body, what would you want to see an all-female reboot of? NASA. NASA. Ooh. Space nice. women. Space women. Let's get all those hidden figures out from being hidden. It seems like they were really knew what they were doing. Let's let them, let's give them the reins. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. Expose the hidden figures. I think I would like to see um, an all-female reboot of the commissioners of all of the major sports leagues because none of these people, like, play – like, Roger Goodell didn't play football. You know, he just, like, went to an Ivy League school. It's like there's a lot of smart bitches that went to Ivy League schools. Naomi did. Naomi, you want to <laughs> run the NFL? That would be awesome. <laughs> I didn't go to an Ivy League school, but I do have thoughts about – I swore you did, but you know what? Just run with it. I will. Okay? No, I will. I will. I will. Wesleyan is very impressive. Oh, right, right, right. You went to where my ex went, so I've convinced myself it's an Ivy League school. I used to be mad. <laughs> Oh man, um, I'm gonna kind of go along with uh, Naomi. Do you do you have an all female reboot idea? Oh, um, can we like all female reboot the police <laughs> just as an entire system? <laughs> okay, I don't okay. know. I don't know how that would work. Just give me lady cops. <laughs> they probably wouldn't try to kill people immediately. I think an all female police force would be. An interesting experiment. Can't be any worse than what we already mm -mm. have. You no. would not have to worry about being sexually assaulted if you were pulled over, most likely. That's true. That's most likely. Most likely. <laughs> Come on, don't let us down, women. <laughs> um, I think I would like to see um, an all-female reboot. 
I think like university presidents, mm. um, just because like, you know, I was thinking about the sports thing that you brought up, Megan. And I think like university colleges and universities have a real problem being, uh, welcoming to people, uh, I think in a lot of cases <laughs> and, and, uh, having women or somebody who is in, in more of a position to display empathy would probably be a, a good step forward. And plus like, Notre Dame's president has made me so mad this year. I Oof. want him to be, I want him, the priesthood, all female reboot of the priesthood. How about that? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- oh my that God. All the nuns in Sound of Music, let them run it. Let them run it. <laughs> 100%. Although not the nuns in Black Narcissus, which I've been watching and I didn't, I don't want them in charge of things. They're not, they're not very good at being nuns. Um. Okay. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Okay, welcome back. We have reached almost the end of the show, but before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. All right, this week's housekeeping. We all want to win the Georgia runoffs, so that's why we're supporting the people making it possible, the organizers on the ground. They delivered the win for Joe Biden this year, and we want to make sure that they do it again for January's Senate runoffs. Our every last vote, Peaches and Dreams Fund. I want to know who came up with that. That is a, it's it's a name that I, begrudgingly love. Uh, Peaches and Dreams Fund supports organizers on the ground via America Votes Georgia, which has long been helping groups that have built the infrastructure to mobilize their communities to vote. If you're able to support, you can donate at votesaveamerica.com slash every last vote. Okay, the house has been kept. Now let's move on to I Feel Petty. Okay, I'll go first this week, guys. It's the holiday season, as we all know. Um, My house is is just festooned in lights. (laughs) Um, but one thing I, one thing I really love about the holiday season is I love holiday movies. I love like Christmas music, holiday music, holiday, holiday episodes of TV shows. One thing I do not like, especially in 2020 is holiday commercials that are supposed to be inspiring. And there's (laughs) one specific commercial that I hate this year the most. Um, there's a commercial for Toyota that features a nurse that is a single mom who is driving her Toyota around to like do all of her various single mom things. <laughs> and the point of the commercial is check out this nurse who's really nice. Buy a Toyota. No, Toyota, you want to support nurses? Give nurses Toyotas and make that part of the commercial. <laughs> Toyota loves nurses so much that every day this month we're giving one nurse a free Toyota. That's mm-hmm. what you should do. Don't 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 pluck my heartstrings. I see what you're doing. <laughs> what you're doing is being like, check out this nurse. Uh, support nurses by buying a Toyota. No, no. Give the nurses Toyotas, and or nurses that own Toyotas, just let them have it for free. Don't make them pay it off totally. Give them well, anyway. And what I just, is I, what is Toyotathon then? <laughs> What Toyota is a deal. It's just a deal. You no, get a discount. It, no, it no. should be giving out cars. Should absolutely no. be giving out cars because that those commercials make me feel like having a December to dismember and not a <laughs> December to remember. Don't get me started on happy Honda days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am not in the Honda days spirit this Mm-mm. year. I'm just going to say uh, this year is no year for happy Honda days. Yeah, I mean, just any any product that's going to try to use frontline workers, essential workers, teachers, all the people that are putting their safety in jeopardy during the pandemic, partly because of stupidity, partly because of government mismanagement. Don't use them in your commercials unless you're actually fucking helping them. Like, Mm -hmm. and by helping them, I mean giving them money or giving them shit. Otherwise, please miss me with that. (laughs) I do not like it. I I think it's very exploitative and shitty. And uh, yeah, 
support healthcare workers by actually supporting them instead of putting a cool font on a commercial. And that's what I feel petty about this week. Um, Megan, you want to go next? Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's going to not start petty. Um, it's going to start dangerous, and then it's going to get petty. But there are <laughs> people still doing indoor comedy shows. Just inside, in Florida, in North Carolina. I'm tracking all of them. Like, (laughs) you know, I don't know where, I don't need to know where Santa is. So if you're a bad comedian, and this is the thing, this is the petty part. It's not good comics. Okay. It's not even, it's people you wouldn't risk it for. You know, like, you go, you? People are risking the fate of their family to see you. Talk about why the names of cheeses are weird. Like, this is so sad. To ju- I mean, and the comedy clubs are bad. These are bad clubs, bad comedians, bad food, bad every... Like, honestly, going to a Zoom show would be better mm-hmm. than going to a comedy club in Tampa. I'm sorry. I, you, I'm losers. You. you losers. You losers. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Also, think about the audience you're playing to. You're playing to a group of people who don't really value their lives and may not believe in science. What? I mean, (laughs) like, I don't even know what's happening. It's, like, so far removed from the type of shows that I would want to be doing that it's, like, are they heckling? Like, are people (laughs) taking shits in the middle of the aisle? Like, it's really a gathering of the worst, sickest people. Oh, yeah. that The the floor is covered. The the floor looks like the inside of a spittoon at the end of every (laughs) show. It's just, like, hawked little pieces of, like, tobacco, chewing tobacco and stuff. Cigarette butts with, like, bright pink pink, like frosted lipstick oh, yeah. on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can Oof. picture it. I'm picturing it real good, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Um, Alyssa, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. So do you guys remember <laughs> a couple weeks ago or months? I don't know what it was at this point. When <laughs> the videotape came out or the audio tape rather came out with Melania being like, meh, fuck the Christmas decorations. What do they want from yeah. me? They want yeah. me to do Christmas decorations. For Christmas. Right. Yeah. She yeah, hates Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> so I just wanted to close the loop with everybody that Melania <laughs> has officially done nothing this year because the Christmas decorations were rolled out and she did not show up. Wow. <laughs> Didn't show oh. up. Literally must have sat in her little office with her I don't care do you jacket on and didn't <laughs> show up. So as they get ready to leave the White House, where we hope the door does hit them, where the good Lord split them, <laughs> uh, she literally abdicated the one actual true responsibility, the tree and the decorations. She said, fuck you, America. I don't believe in Christmas anymore. Christmas, they're going to make Christmas Christmas again. And then she shot it in the face. <laughs> Melania hating Christmas is so perfect. Like she's just a she's just a human plastic icicle. She's just I'm so surprised though, because it's a day where you just get stuff without yeah, preserving it. it. Seems <laughs> so I thought she'd be into it. Of her duties, this is the least difficult one. It's like you've had to see Trump naked. Like I just at some point you have, and you can't even fucking get excited about a bow on a box. Like this is child's play. No pun intended. This is easy. <laughs> she sucks. I'm so glad she's, she's not like going to be the vampire. first lady anymore. I can't wait for Jilly from Philly. Bring on <laughs> Jilly from Philly. Jill, a teacher. I love Jill. <laughs> I love Jill. I can't wait for Jilly from Philly. Um, Naomi, what do you feel petty about this week? Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> I was walking my dear dog yesterday, and someone had – in front of their house. Have you ever seen a little like, like a little stand with books inside? It was mm-hmm. like, take a book, leave a book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm already disgusted. Okay. <laughs> First of all, we're in a goddamn pandemic. Okay. Don't you leave anything out with your grubby little hands and then you want me to pick it up? Or even worse, you want somebody to come from their grubby little house and put something <laughs> in your little tree house? Absolutely not. So I, I'm already off. I'm already living. And then, and I always pass this and think, disgusting. You should be ashamed. But last night, I saw two people standing in front of this little book, Nook, 
picking up books and perusing them. One at a fucking time. I believe those people should not be allowed to leave their house. That's it. That's what I feel petty about. You shouldn't be allowed to leave your house. You shouldn't be allowed to engage with people. You can't be trusted. You're sick and you're twisted. Touched up on every book. Looked at it like they were at a damn Barnes and Noble. I'm done. I, I so love mad. the book tree houses. I'm sorry. I love them. I don't take anything because I'm freaked out. But Naomi, what are they going to do? Tear them down and then rebuild in 2021? <laughs> you can take those books. You put Ow. them in a box. True. You True. let the germs die for a few days, and then you deliver them to the local library. And then you don't you think say, your girl had multiple Babysitter's Club books that yeah, needed to okay. go somewhere? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, Naomi, can I tell I you? Just, can I tell you something wonderful yes, about please. upstate New York? The, the book treehouse is outside the church, mm-hmm. and the last time I checked, oh. there were sanitizing wipes next to it. <laughs> Okay, yes, yes, that's yes, great. Yes, yes, great. You can also yes. do a, U- a UV light, I think. We can't we can't inject UV lights into our bodies, but we can use UV lights to sanitize surfaces. So just like a little wand, you could wand it. Yes. Give it a do little that. Wand Maybe it. have it inside the nook. Can you keep a UV light on the books at all times? I don't know if I'd that'll love, fade them. I'd love to know the books in Hollywood. <laughs> I would love to know. So gross. I just Writing like... a screenplay for pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I bet, like, books that – I feel like, you know, my my dating experience in L.A. is pretty limited, but during the, the limited dating experiences I've had have involved going over to people's houses who have a lot of books that they clearly haven't read. Mm. Like, no evident breaking of the book's spine, uh-huh. no evident even opening of the cover. It's like, you haven't read Infinite Jest. It's just <laughs> in a pile so people think you – no, no, You're no. Just every to have sex with girls who went to college. Every dude has read the first like forty pages of Infinite Jest. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they've never finished it, but they started it because they knew they were supposed to read it. But mm-hmm. then they were bored. But they were like, "I think we should put it up anyway, so people know that I'm for the culture." <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, ladies! It is always so lovely to talk to both of you, um, Megan, Naomi. Thanks for stopping by. Alyssa, my ride or die, even though I can't see your face, you just look like a green circle because your power is out in upstate New York, a place where weather exists. Um, Alyssa, thank you for stopping by. Thank you to Shaniqua McClendon for answering our questions about the election. And thank you to all of you for listening. There will be more hysteria next week. Planet, this nation, Janet, but these girls Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 